0: Hallelujah. We praise you, we lift you up, we magnify, we glorify, we exalt you. We praise you, we lift you up, we magnify, we glorify, we exalt you, we praise you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We praise you, we lift you up, we magnify, we glorify we exalt you, we praise you, hallelujah, thank you Father, hallelujah, we serve a living God today, hallelujah, the word says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, hallelujah, we serve a living God, a living Savior. I don't serve a fable. I don't serve a tall tale. I don't serve a particular rigid religion. I serve Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hallelujah. And there were promises made to me And Romans chapter four, 17 says the pro Romans chapter four tells us that the promises were sure to all the seed who's the seed. Those that were Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Amen. There's promise made available to the believer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christianity is different from any other religion. Why? Because Christ is alive. Christ is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Thank you, Jesus. The promises of God are in him. Yes. And amen in Christ. Every promise is available. Every promise in this scripture, every promise. Hallelujah. Every promise. In Christ has their yes and their amen. There's so be it. Hallelujah. There's nothing that God is withholding from you. There's nothing that he's withholding from the church. There's nothing that is withholding from your life. There's nothing that he's withholding from anyone that would just call upon him. All that will call upon him. He said, those that call upon me, he said, they shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, there is only one way to heaven, and is not found in your good works, It's not found in 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 good actions. It's found in Christ and Him alone. John says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus was saying. Yes, yes. This book is filled with promises, filled with promises for us to stand on, filled with promises for to hold to. Promises that have been fulfilled and promises that were yet wait, waiting to be fulfilled. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The promises of God. What is a promise? You know, you have your, your napkin there it says, I promise. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit here. But I believe something significant is going to happen within our lives this morning. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul prayed and he prayed over the church of Ephesus and he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Yes, meaning, meaning he, and he, he wants us to, to go on a journey with him. He wanted us to, to know not just any sort of doctrine. He wanted us to know his personal relationship. And he said, I want your eyes open like my eyes were open on the road to Damascus. The eyes open that you would know what the, the hope of his calling That you would know the inheritance in the saints. And that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power. That's what he wants our eyes open to, the inheritance. As, as, As believers, as the church, we have an inheritance. An inheritance. What is an inheritance? It's something that's been laid aside or laid up for you. There's things that, that the believer, the Christian, has available to them but, but don't really understand. What, what, and a lot of people don't understand it. They just say, oh, well, okay, well, I, I, you know, I go to church or I, I, I made Jesus the Lord of my life a long time ago. And, you know, I just still go about my thing and, and all that. No, there's something on the inside of you as a believer. There's something made available to you. An inheritance. An inheritance. What is a promise? A promise is a declaration. It's a binding declaration of something to be done or given for another's benefit. It's a declaration which gives to the person to whom it is made a right to expect something. Today, as Resurrection Day, we are celebrating a culmination of promises. Promises that have been made and promises that have been fulfilled. You know, if... This Bible, I, I don't look at it. this as some religious archaic book, and no one, a lot of people don't understand this, and they'll try to rationalize this book, try to make sense of this book, but it's the only book that's ever resurrected itself. It's tried to be outlawed and burned and and hid away and locked down in the dark ages, but yet it's still found in. And even when people try to discount it, then all of a sudden they'll find Dead Sea Scrolls and they'll find different things to try to bring back to to provide the validity of this word. I mean, think about it. It was written over a fifteen hundred year period of time by forty different authors, but yet the prophecies are accurate from the beginning to the end. Filled with promises. Filled with promises, you know, throughout the scriptures, promises, promises being made. So today we're looking at this day as a, as a combination of promises. Last week, as we t- I talked about promises in the 9am service. We talked about how that God keeps his promises. We talked about how he doesn't alter what has gone out of his mouth. You see the moment that God speaks something, they become words of promise. The moment that God speaks something, now they become not just words, but they become covenant. See, promises are sure. God just doesn't speak to speak. He speaks with the intent to change something. He speaks with the intent to bring a pass his will in the earth. And, and, and and you look throughout the the prophets and things that were spoken and, and things that are laid down and, and, and we look at, we can see a prophecy and we can see it as something that's spiritual, but bottom line, what is a prophecy? A prophecy is simply this. It's the will of God to you. It's the will of God to me. God's promises are Sure. In Joshua 23, verse 14, in the NIV, it makes a statement. He says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave to you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled and not one has failed. This is Joshua. Joshua, his name meaning the same as Jesus, Yeshua, savior, Joshua being a type and shadow of Jesus and Joshua bringing the people into a promised land. And as he's about to go, go into the way of the grave, he makes that statement. He says, I go to the way of the earth, but you know, with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises, Lord, your God gave you has failed many, everything he's spoken up to this time. Everything has been fulfilled. Ezekiel another prophet verse 12:28 and the amplified it says therefore say to them thus says the Lord God none of my words will be delayed any longer none of my words will be delayed any longer whatever word i speak will be fulfilled completely says the lord This is the prophet writing for something that we can hold on to. And it's not just a prophecy, but it's giving us some insight into the nature and the character of God that he says, everything that I've spoken will be fulfilled completely. And this is something that a prophet isn't writing on his nature, but writing on the nature of of our heavenly father, that everything I've spoken will be fulfilled completely. This is a year of abundant overflow. And I declare that everything he's spoken will be fulfilled completely in my life. Everything will be fulfilled completely in my life, in my children's life. Every promise has been made available to me. Everything will be fulfilled completely. You see, what's so great about a promise? Like I said, God doesn't just speak to speak. Why is a promise, what makes a promise so important? Because I want you to understand this morning that a promise, Vic, is relational. Relational. You know what? You don't make the promises to people you don't know. You don't make promises to people you don't care about. You make promises to someone you love and someone that you care for. If you have your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. So pull on the word this morning. My goal here this morning is not to entertain you, but it's to release God's heart into our lives. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of num- fewest in number, but because the Lord loved you. God had didn't, he hasn't chosen us because we were so great. He hasn't chosen us because of how, how amazing we could be. He chose you, why? Because he loved you. Now, in this, in this context, we know he's talking about the Jewish people. But I'm so grateful that Jesus broke down that middle wall partition between us. Amen. That he made Jew and Gentile. There's, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. He broke that middle wall partition between us. And, 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 so, and so the thing we have to understand is as God's speaking, he's not just speaking to the Jewish people, but he's speaking to all his people. And he said I didn't choose them because they were more in number I chose them because I love them. Yes. But because the Lord loved you now listen and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto their fathers hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Now therefore that the Lord thy God he is God the faithful God which keepeth covenant And mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He loves you and because he loves you, he will keep his oath. And it says it would be to a thousand generations. A thousand generations. Hallelujah. We haven't got to, we're, we're still in that time. This is, this still is talking about you and me. This, this is letting you, there hasn't been a thousand generations since this was spoken. This is, has to do with his heart for his people. Amen. Promises are sure. So today we're celebrating promises that have been spoken and promises that have been fulfilled. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Early on in scripture, God speaks. God sees man and sees the humanity of man and sees man that he's been separated from his man's been separated or I say this God was separated from the object of his affection. And we see a prophecy that God speaks the moment that Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And and God just says this in in uh, Genesis 3 15, he says this And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. What is this saying? This is God speaking a promise. What is God saying? God is saying that because you have to understand when Adam and Eve, they were made in the very likeness and image with God, they were clothed with glory and honor. And Satan came in and, and separated that union, separated that relationship. And so God had to speak something. And, and pretty much what he was saying is, is Satan, he, and he, th- this, is what he's saying, he's actually speaking this to the serpent. And he's saying that God, God is saying, I'm going to do something about what just took place. I'm going to change what just happened. You took something and divided me from the object of my affection. But you know what? There's one coming. There's one coming and he's going to be come from a woman and he's going to bring enmity and he is going to bring separation and he is going to bruise your, he's going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. What does that mean? That mean that, that, that this one that's coming is going to put his foot on the neck of the enemy. So from the very beginning, when Abba and Eve fell, God was speaking a promise and everything that God speaks comes to pass. Everything God speaks comes to pass. And we can see from the very beginning, Genesis, all all the way to Revelations, the heartbeat of the father is restoration. The heartbeat of the father is to restore man, not so they can say one day we're going to, one day I'm going to heaven. No, he restored man back to what? The original intent, the original design of creation was relationship. With the object of his affection. The object of his affection. We can see other promises throughout the word and other scriptures and prophets speaking by direction of the Holy Spirit. Throughout, throughout the book of Isaiah, we see for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We see scriptures in, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter seven, talking about that, that this Emmanuel, this God with us would, would come from a virgin. We see scriptures, like in Zechariah chapter 9, where it talked about and prophesied that this king would come riding on a donkey. We see prophecies throughout the scripture. And, and I love what I've heard Dr. Sveil minister through this, and, and how there's a thin red line throughout the Old Testament that's constantly pointing to Jesus. Constantly speaking of Jesus, and God is constantly revealing, there's one coming, 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 there's one coming. And these were prophecies throughout Scripture. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Thank you, Father. Verse 1 of Isaiah 53. It says, this is another prophetic Scripture about the coming of Jesus. Who has believed our report And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He doesn't have any form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare to this generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and he put, on gr- put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. Meaning, meaning the travail, what does it mean? Jesus prayed for you. Meaning he's gonna see the outcome of what he prayed for. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servants justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he had poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Hallelujah. 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 See, this is, this is a prophecy, but yet it was hundreds of years later before it ever came to pass and Jesus fulfilled every one of these things. The Bible said he was a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. When he stood before Pilate, he said he was silent. He didn't, he didn't try to to, uh, convince, he didn't try to uh, defend himself. Every promise, every prophecy came to pass Jesus fulfilled within scripture, but bottom line, the why Jesus came. We can see in first John chapter four, eight, it tells us the reason why Jesus came. It said that he was manifested. Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, that's why Jesus came to destroy the works. It wasn't just so we could we could say we're going to heaven one day. No, he came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, before Adam and Eve fell in the garden, there was no such thing as guilt. There was no such thing as shame. There was no such thing as, as, as blame. There was no such thing as sickness or disease. Everything, every one of those things came in after, after the fall of man. But what did Jesus, he goes, I was, he was, he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Fear is a work of the devil. Guilt, condemnation is a work of the devil. Sickness and disease is a work of our enemy. But Jesus, that promise, that promise. That, that, Jesus, that God released in Genesis 3.15. That promise was fulfilled through Jesus. So today we're celebrating the combination of promises given and promises fulfilled. Jesus even prophesied in several times throughout his scriptures, in his writings that, that they, they, that John wrote and, and, and Matthew wrote about and, and Luke wrote about, and Jesus told his disciples that, Hey, I must go. I must go. Why? And three days later I would rise again. So even Jesus released the heart of God. So today we celebrate promises being fulfilled, yeah. promises being fulfilled. Go to first Corinthians chapter 15. Today we celebrate because we have victory because of what Christ has done. Can you give him a shout of praise this morning? Thank you, Father. He is risen. He is risen. You know, I love what the angel, the angel goes to, uh, or when they come and they see, they come into the the tomb, I think it's Luke 24, and they they come into the tomb, I think it's verse five and six, and, and they look and, and they see the grave clothes there and they, they, they see that and they're looking at it and they're like, where have you taken our Lord? Where have you taken our rabbi, our, our, our teacher? Where have you taken him? And, and, and I love what the angel, he goes, he goes, why do you look, why do you look for the living among the dead? I, love, I It's one of my favorite scriptures. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I, I, you know, I think sometimes we have to ask that question as it pertains to what we're pursuing in life. Why are you looking for life among things that can't produce life? Why, why do we constantly are looking for things to validate or strengthen us or give us peace in things that can't give us strength or give us peace, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if we keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you had believed in vain, for no purpose. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see in these two verses, he 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 ends it with according to the scriptures. And then he says he did and he rose in the third day. What according to the scriptures? What is he saying? According to the promise, according to the promise, according to the prophecies. Let's look at verse 13. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, help me get this out this morning. Because he's he's talking about... uh, Thank you, Lord. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen. Thank you, Father. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is in vain. Meaning, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then why are we here this morning? Because if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we have no chance of salvation. The whole reason we can receive salvation is because he raised from the dead. And that, what is he saying? If there's no resurrection, he goes, <laughs> thank you, father. Yeah. And we have found, he goes, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised, uh, whom he raised not up. If so, that he, the dead rise not verse 16 for if, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you're still in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are already perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. (laughs) Meaning if I'm holding on to Christ just as I go through this life, you're miserable. (laughs) If this is just something we do down here to make us feel good about ourselves... Then it says you're miserable, but the whole point we're here is because of his resurrection. The whole point of salvation. If you don't believe that he raised from the dead, you're not saved today. If you don't, I mean, if you don't believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, you are not saved this morning. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we're men most miserable. But now but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also resurrection of the dead. For Now listen, for as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall many be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ was the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are in Christ, Christ at his coming. read in the Amplified, verse 23. But each in his own rank in turn, Christ the Messiah, is the firstfruits. Then those who are in Christ's own will be resurrected at his coming. After that comes the end when he is delivered, delivers over the kingdom to God the Father after rendering it operative and abolishing every rule and every authority and power. For Christ must be king and reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be subdued and abolished is death. Let's look at verse 53. Actually, verse 52. Actually, verse 51. Sorry. <laughs> So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to switch gears here because there's something important here that he brings out. I know I've read a lot of scriptures there. And I'm just believing this morning for the Holy Spirit just to convey his heart. That we know and I believe that he rose in three days. But we have to understand that him dying on the cross and him raising from the dead is not the end of the story. And nor is it the end of promises. There's promises that we can hold on to this morning. And I I just discussed some of those promises with you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter chapter 5. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Mm. promises being fulfilled so yeah a promise is spoken why because relationship but we have there's so there's so much more beyond just what jesus did at the cross and there's more than what we can hold on to as believers this morning in ephesians chapter 5 Verse 23, says, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present It to himself. Can you say that with me? Present to himself. himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one. Now listen to this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I, I want to I take us on a journey just for about 10 or 15 minutes, okay? Can you go on this journey with me? See, he talks about, I'm speaking this mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and... In the church. It tells us here. It says that that husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So it equates this heart that that Jesus has for the church the way a husband should have for his bride. And it said that that, that husbands love love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You understand that Jesus gave himself for you and I without any guarantee that he would receive anything. He he gave everything he had without any guarantee that we would receive his sacrifice. And he tells him, he goes, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for it. Why did he give himself for it? Because then it tells us that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. And that he might present it to himself a glorious church. So God loved us in such a way that it wasn't just to it wasn't just so we could be saved he he wanted us he wanted to be able to present to himself a glorious church without spot or without wrinkle The church is important to God Now the church are not these four walls the church are the people coming together in it There's a promise that we see in scripture There's a connection that is made between a husband and wife and Jesus in the church. And if we're not careful, we can lose the significance that the love the the father has for his creation and the love that he has for the church. Even if we go to Song of Solomon and we look at this and we see this love relationship that, that 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 a groom would have for his soon to be bride. He makes a statement. He says, my beloved is mine and I am my beloved's. God loves you. He loves the church. There's nothing more than he, there's nothing more that he loves besides you and I. So as we celebrate not just his resurrection this morning and the, the promises were filled there but but I want to release into our hearts this morning promises for us to hold on to. You see, Jesus is our bridegroom and we are his bride. What's significant about this this morning? As we talk about this, I want to let, I want to talk about some things traditionally in Jewish times, you know, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus fulfilled things, and there was an understanding. It's kind of revelation. Jesus was Jewish. (laughs) But God equates things, and and we can see things in the natural and things things that Jesus did, and we can equate it to how a bridegroom would be associated with a bride. You say there were several things that were so key in, in, a, in someone becoming married. It wasn't how we view getting married today. It wasn't our engagement processes that we know today, but they had something that they would call betrothal. And a betrothal was just as strong as a marriage covenant. If you were betrothed to someone in that time, you would have to be legally divorced just like if you were already married. Now, what does this look like? In, the, in that time, you would have a, a young Jewish man, and he, he, may, he would go different places, and he would see maybe different things. And maybe as he's going different places, and he would see places where, where, where young women would gather and, and, and would, would come across something and see this young lady. Now, by, by law, they couldn't go up and approach that young lady that they would they would see that lady and maybe see her over a period of time and they'd look at that young lady and 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 she's he'd see that young lady and and then what he would do is he would have to seek out and find out who this lady's father is and and what happens he would go home and he he would all of a sudden he would write out a contract he would write out what we call a wedding contract And as he writes out this wedding contract, he would then seek out the father and he would go to the father and he would present this contract to the father. And the father would read the contract and, and he would, he would say, you know, I'm going to give so many sheep for you show so many camels for you. I'm going to so many things, you know, because the thing is, is, you know, the, the father is saying, you know, I've raised this young lady all my life. I've raised her to be a great woman, to be a great, to be a great a assistant and a helpmeet to her husband. And so, so is, is the price enough? And so the father would decide what the price, what price was enough. And then they would set up an appointment and they would set up a, a meal. And, and the, and this time the, the man and the woman had never spoken, but they would show up and into this, into this banqueting table and they would show up at this table and the father would, would sit across and, and, and the, and the man would be there and the man would pour a cup of wine to the, to the young lady. And the father would hand the contract to the lady and saying, saying, say, now, now daughter, I, I agree and I approve with this contract. And, and the girl would have the ability to look at that contract and, and observe that contract and understand her father approved that contract. And yet if she agrees because the father agrees, she would take that cup and she would drink it. She wouldn't say, I do. She wouldn't say anything. She would take the cup of wine and she would drink it. And she'd put it down. No words spoken. But that her drinking that cup was a sign that I agree and I ratify and I, I, I agree and I believe and I make covenant that this will be my bridegroom. At that time, the bridegroom would 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 give gifts, he would give her gifts, things for her to remember him. And there would be a there would be a time of separation. There would be a time of separation to one to two years. (laughs) One to two years. And the thing is, at this time, they've never spoken. And yet what would he do? He'd go back to his father's house and he'd go to prepare a place for her. Prepare a place for her. Now that man, that that, that son wouldn't work for at least an entire one or two years while he's preparing this place. And the thing is, is, the son is not the one that determines when it's ready. The father determines when it's ready. And when it's ready, the father says, go get your bride. At this time, during that separation, the moment that she would leave there, the only thing that she would do differently is she would put a veil over her face to where to guard her from other people seeing her beauty, to guard her from her being influenced and other people influenced. And and what it was is, is they would make this statement. They would say that she's, she's taken. And then they would make this statement. They could tell if you had a veil of your face, you were bought with a price. Jesus Jesus made statements. He said I go to prepare a place for you. He goes and when I come again, I will receive you unto myself. Jesus is the is our bridegroom. Jesus on the night that he was he was betrayed in Luke chapter 22 verse 15 he makes a statement that's interesting that you have to understand Jesus had up to this time had celebrated 32 passovers. But yet on this Passover he makes a different statement here. He goes, "I earnestly I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you." Because not only did he drink the cup, but he handed it to his disciples. And he said, Take and drink of this. And he says, drink all of it, because it is a it is the covenant of blood. And they drank all of it. Not only that, but 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 Jesus, he gave gifts. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Amen. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the fruit of the Spirit. He he, my peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. You see. Jesus is our bridegroom and we are his bride. See, there's promises that have been made. And the promises that he would return for his bride. In John chapter seven, you don't need to turn there. Now there was something in Jewish tradition, and I'm like I said, you're not gonna necessarily see this in scripture. But I believe traditionally it's something that we could hold on to and it's something that I want you to leave here with and that's why you have this. After the, after the bride would take of that drink and the covenant was set, the, traditionally the bridegroom would take a napkin and fold it in a particular way and he wouldn't make any words, say any words, but he would fold the napkin and he'd, he'd place it on the table and he'd leave. But on how he folded the napkin, it was also symbolic on how servants would, servants would serve their masters in Jewish times, that if they fold their napkin a certain way, it means don't clean up my place yet because I'm going to return. It's interesting, and like I said, I'm not going to, don't preach this as the first doctrine of the napkin, so that this is not the first church of the napkin. <laughs> But I find it interesting in John chapter 20, verse seven, that when Jesus is raised from the dead, that, that, that they go into the, where he's laid and it said his grave clothes are on one side. And it says the napkin that it was around his head was folded in a particular way. Meaning I'm coming back. I'm going to come back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm returning for my bride. Now, please don't make this to the first church of the napkin, please. And try to disprove. Now, this is traditionally. I want you to understand that 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 scripturally promise when he died on the cross for us, when he had celebrated that last Passover, and the thing is, is the price that was paid was his life. That was the price that that he paid. The we as the, the disciple as the representation of the church, the bride. And Jesus dying on the cross was the price that was paid. We go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I want something I want a promise being I want to promise to be stirring in our hearts, not just today, but over the weeks and the months to come. And it's the promise that the bridegroom comes. Yes. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. In Matthew 25, it's in verse 1, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps. They went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil. For our lamps are gone out but the wise answered saying not so lest there not be enough for us and you but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves and while they went to buy the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut after came also the other virgins saying lord lord open to us but he answered and said verily i say to you i know you not Watch therefore, for, you know, neither the day nor the hour when the son of man comes. You don't know the day or the hour when he comes. What did the, what did the father say? What did, the father is the one that determined when the bridegroom would come. And what is it referring to here? It's talking about the bride being ready. I want to ask, are we, will we be expecting? See the, the wise virgins, what did they do? They took vessels of oil. Meaning they were prepared. I want us to be prepared. I want us to be prepared. I, I want our lamps burning. But you know what? If you're not expecting his return, your lamps won't be burning. If you don't have an understanding of this promise this morning, your lamps won't be burning. You see, there's, an, there's, a, there's a whole aspect of, of the, the bride where she would be, have anticipation and excitement that the groom is going to get her one day. I want to ask each one of us, do we have an anticipation and expectancy that our bridegroom is coming to get his church? Hallelujah. So this morning, I want to not just, I want to talk about the promises that have been made and the promises that we're waiting for. Let our lamps be forever burning with an excitement and an anticipation for the return of our bridegroom. Let me close with this. Go to first Peter. Or, sorry, Second Peter, I believe it is Second Peter. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Before I read that, me. Before I read that in 2 Timothy 4.8 says, And to what remains henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me on that great day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing. Hallelujah. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1 says, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. What were the, the words spoken before? The holy promises of the commandment of the apostles and of the Lord our Savior. I mean, I want you to be mindful of the words. Be mindful of the promises, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, Walking after their own lusts or desires. Now listen to this. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I believe that same attitude is in our world. This was in their time. And yet the people in their time had the same attitude of the people in our time. Where is the promise of it? It's It's kind of like making fun of them. Where is the promise of his coming? Oh, he's not going to. They've been saying this for years. They've been saying this for years. Where is the promise of his coming? That same attitude is mocking in our world today. Verse five for this, they willingly are ignorant of. And by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the each standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. I was talking about Noah, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape you beloved that with the Lord one day as a thousand years as a thousand years as a day. Wow. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heaven shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also um, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be in holy con- conversation and godliness looking for and hastening unto the coming of of the day of the Lord. You see, he's coming soon. The promise this morning, behold, the bridegroom comes. So my encouragement to each one of us this morning, that we would lay hold of the promise of his returning and that we would let that bring an build an anticipation on the inside of us that where our lamps burning on the inside of us, that passion that God placed on the inside of you would be burning, that you would have such an excitement. For the things of God. Such an excitement for his, his return. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Yes. You know, Miss Carolyn, last, last week we were at an event and she spoke a message and I'm encouraged. I'm going to have her minister it sometime because it will connect with this. Because it's so important for us to realize that these are and we are living in the last days. But let's not be like the people in what Peter is talking to. Well, where is this coming? They've been talking about this for years. They've been talking about this for years. That will make you dull on the inside. But you and I, we have a promise of his coming. A promise of his return. So today is a day of celebration. Today is a celebration that our bridegroom, our bridegroom has, has, has made a covenant with us. Our, our, the cup of the covenant has been drank the the gifts have been given. The separation has taken place. So the only thing that we're waiting for is for that sound. The only thing we're waiting for is that Trump. The only thing we're waiting for is the attendance say the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Thank you, father. Hallelujah! Thank you, Father. Jesus is coming soon. Yes. Hallelujah. Just bow your heads where you're standing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for the strength, the wisdom, the faith, and the direction that your word builds on the inside of each one of us. I thank you For your promises that they're yes and amen. We thank you for the promises. That declared the coming of Jesus. And we thank you for the promises of the fulfillment. Of Jesus going to the cross. Dying for our sins and raising again. But today as we leave here. We thank you for the promises. That Jesus is our bridegroom and we are his bride. And we thank you for the promises of your return. I don't know about you, but I desire my lamp to be burning. I think all of us in one way or another could, could work on an expectancy, an anticipation. And thinking about this message and thinking about the promise. That our bridegroom is coming. Our bridegroom is coming. Our bridegroom is coming. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you hear this morning and you say, Pastor Justin, I'm not ready to meet the bridegroom. I'm not ready. My, 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 my lamp isn't burning. I, I don't know anything about this passion or this excitement that you're talking about but i want to be ready i want to be ready i want to have that expectancy on the inside of me if that's you this morning just lift your hands right where you're right where you're standing thank you father hallelujah hallelujah Holy Spirit, I thank you for placing a hunger on the inside of us. An excitement of your return. We can be so, we can go through life so busy, have so much going on, so many things take place that we, we forget about the most important things. The most important thing is our relationship with you. Thank you that every single one of us Not just today, but throughout this week. Just that phrase. I promise. I promise. We'll go off on the inside of each one of our hearts. Throughout this week. And as they hear that phrase on the inside of their hearts, I promise. They'll be reminded of your return. They'll be reminded of the victories that we have in Christ. Be reminded of eternity that awaits us. We thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Everyone at the sound of my voice, that our hearts would burn with a hunger, burn for an expectancy of your return. Thank you, Father. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, work in every heart today. Work in every heart. Mm. Let me ask each one of a question Will we be like the five wise or the five foolish? Ready, ready, ready. Let's be the church that's ready. Let's be a people that's ready. We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did you ever see that word this morning? Hallelujah. Well, give him a shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.